0: for leading us this morning in worship. Uh, If that was a new face and a new voice that was featured in that special music there, that was Michelle Horton. And uh, Michelle is, back here, Michelle is our, uh, and Jeremy, her husband, is our new college pastor here at Wildwood. And they started back at the beginning of July. We're just so blessed to have them here with us and and so excited about the ministry that God has through them uh, at Wildwood and on the University of Oklahoma campus in the days ahead. Um, just uh, in case you're curious about when things are kicking off, maybe you're a college student rolling back into town and some things. Just a few weeks, Wildwood's going to be starting College Life on Thursday nights at 8 o'clock as our primary vehicle for college ministry in terms of a meeting during the week. Um, and it is replacing our six eleven service. So if you've been a part of the six eleven service in the past, your college student would invite you to join us on Thursday nights for that. Uh, It's great to see all of you today, and great that we have a chance to come together and to to praise God in this way. Uh, And as we do so, uh, in this first Sunday in August, we're actually going to conclude today a four-part series that we began just a few weeks ago that has been focused on the person of Christ. Uh, One of the things that we said then that's been kind of a goal of ours over the last four weeks is something that John Hanna has once said. And that is we want to place within our minds a category called Christ. And if the Spirit would bless it to make it beautiful, that it would influence our affections. Because we tend to choose what we like. Uh, And so what we've done over the last few weeks is we have seen a beautiful portrait of Christ painted to us from the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3. What we've seen there is that Jesus writes seven letters to seven real churches in Asia. And in each letter he signs it highlighting a different aspect of his character. And really what Jesus was wanting to let those churches know in Asia was that he was more than enough for all of their needs. And we began this series four weeks ago by uh, doing a demonstration of some cardboard testimonies. You see them scattered across our stage here. Uh, These testimonies were reminders that just as Jesus revealed himself and his character among seven churches in Asia, that he's still at work among us as well. That his goodness does not just extend to one geographical area, but his goodness comes all the way to Norman and has impacted our lives. That Jesus has been more than enough for our needs as well. And you see a number of those testimonies across the stage here. And in each week, we've been highlighting a different aspect of, uh, of, of Jesus' character and what He is offering to us. We focused the first week on God's love. The second week on His provision for us. Last week on God's truth and how that undergirds the right kind of leadership that God desires for His church. And this week, we're going to continue that series and conclude that series by focusing on one additional aspect... And that is the priority that God desires for our lives. So we're going to look at that today from the letter that Jesus writes to the church in Laodicea. But uh, before we get there this morning, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the time that you've given us today to look at your word and to open it up. And Father, we can read it and, and we can listen, but Father, we need something more than that because we want to really hear from you today. We want your word, which is sharper than any double-edged sword, to pierce through our preconceptions and ideas to really hear the message that you have for each of us today. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would be at work now, taking your word and helping all of us to understand it with a spiritual understanding. Father, that task is too big for me, and it's too big for all of us here. And so, Father, we pray that you would be our guide and our teacher. And Father, we thank you that you have made a promise that your spirit is the spirit that leads us into all truth, so we have great expectation today. But Father, I pray that you would protect me this morning from saying anything that you wouldn't want said, but if I do say something that you wouldn't want said, that it would quickly be forgotten. But the words that I share today, Father, that are your words and your truth, I pray that we would remember them, that we would believe them, and we would apply them in our lives, we might be changed more into the image of your Son. We thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my son is on a journey. My 17-month-old son is on a journey. A journey towards independence. Uh, You see, when he was born, uh, actually, even the days preceding his birth, he was totally dependent upon his mother. See, he was inside of her protective womb, attached by an umbilical cord that provided all of the things that he needed. He was totally dependent. But then he was born, last March. And after he was born, uh, he became a little more independent, but because he was born early, some of you know he was born a couple of months early, he had to spend a number of days in the hospital at the Nick ICU up in, uh, uh, NICU, whatever you call it, up in up at Oklahoma City. When he was there, he was outside of the protection of the womb, but he still had machines that breathed for him. He had tubes that fed him. He was still fairly dependent, but he had taken that step away from the womb. A few weeks later, he was able to to, uh, get out of there and was able to come home, and we were able to unplug him. No longer did he have to be attached to machines to help him breathe or machines to help him eat, but he was able to to nurse and he was able to begin to eat a few things and as as days went along uh, he began to become you know he was still fairly dependent upon us for feeding. I would feed him you know food and Kimberly would feed him food but one of the things that's happened more recently is he's beginning to even get a little independent in the eating category. Uh, Just the other day came around the corner and there he was with a cupboard open and a piece of bread in his hand. Um, Kimberly called me the other day and said guess what Josh is making himself a sandwich. He's beginning to get a little more independent when it comes to eating. Uh, same thing's true about, about clothes. You know, when he was a little, little child, I mean, he's, not that he's a monster now, but when he was really little, um, he wore whatever we put on him. We put it on him, it was there until we took it off of him. But now we're beginning to find out that anything with buttons or snaps is optional. He's beginning to learn how to rip that stuff off and, and throw it and all this kinds of stuff, you know. And he's becoming a little more independent. In clothes and food, you know. Next thing you know, he's going to be driving. Then he's going to be making his own money, uh, and then he's going to move out of the house. And you know, the, the idea of of being a parent, and those of you who have raised children, you, you know this is true. Uh, there, there's a there's a bittersweetness to that in there. Uh, there's a part of that where you're, you're you're sad. You miss the days when your child was totally dependent upon you. But there's also a part of you that's going sweet. They're out now. They're on their own. This is a good thing. Uh, well, <laughs> I heard an amen. All right. You guys are with me today. So one of the things that, that, uh, uh, that, that happens in life, and the reason why this is there, is that when it comes to our relationship with our earthly parents, the more mature we get, the more independent we become. When it comes to our relationship with our earthly parents, the more mature we get, the more independent We become, and that's the way it's supposed to be. But because of that relationship, it's really interesting that sometimes we want to take our relationship with our earthly family, we want to apply it to our relationship with God. When we do, we begin to think this way. The more mature I get as a Christian, the more independent I must become from God. If we ever begin to fall into that trap of thinking then Jesus has a corrective measure for us in his letter to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. Because Jesus writes this church in Laodicea, and he wants to let them know that he desires more than our independence. That he desires that as we mature in our faith, that we actually become more and more dependent upon him. The same Jesus that told his disciples that apart from me you can do nothing— Wants to tell Wildwood Community Church today, all of us here, that the more mature we get in Christ, the more dependent we must become on him because he desires more than our independence. We're going to see this morning from Jesus' letter to the church in Laodicea, three things. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Revelation chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse 14, read down to the end of the chapter. This is a letter that Jesus writes to the church. He says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write this These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes, so that you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am... I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so in these few words, Jesus writes a letter to the church in Laodicea and lets them know that he longs for More than their independence. And the first thing I I think that we need to see is, as we read this letter, is this. That there is a kind or a type of Christianity that is not pleasing to Jesus. There is a type of Christianity that is not pleasing to Jesus. When you read this letter to the church at Laodicea, the thing that immediately jumps off the page to you is there is something about this church that he is not pleased with in the least bit. And that something has to do with the fact that they're lukewarm. Look at what it says in verse 15. Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, that's pretty strong words from Christ. There was something so dissatisfying about the church in Laodicea that he was wanting to spit them out of his mouth, and that something was that they were lukewarm. Now, there's been a lot of different efforts to try to explain what this lukewarmness really meant. You know, one of the common explanations is that Jesus was saying, I wish that you were either red hot spiritually for me, that you were really passionate and into your relationship with God, that you were hot, or that you were cold, that you were adamantly against me, rejected me flatly, and gone your own way. I would rather you be all the way for me or all the way against me But since you're neither, I'll spit you out of my mouth. That's a common understanding of this passage. But you know what? That seems like a rather strange statement, doesn't it? Why would Jesus rather that we be adamantly against him? Why would Jesus ever desire that from people? I think that there's actually a better explanation than to say that Jesus would rather we be adamantly against him than somehow riding the fence. I think that the reality is that we need to look at how the people of Laodicea would have first read and understood this letter. See, one of the the chief tenets of good Bible interpretation is you read a passage and you you try to seek to understand how would the original audience have understood the message that was given in this letter. It's a common principle of exegesis or of Bible interpretation. And so, when we think about this, how would the people of Laodicea have understood a comment about being lukewarm? And I think the answer to that comes from the fact that Laodicea had a very interesting water situation. See, the city of Laodicea was not built along a waterway, as many ancient cities were. The city of Laodicea was actually built along man-made roads, these Roman roads that led to Rome. Laodicea sat on one of those roads. It was an important city, but because it was built along a road, it didn't have a readily accessible source of water. Therefore, in order for the people of Laodicea to get drinking water or water for cleaning or whatever, it had to be piped in via aqueduct. The two most readily available water sources to them were the water source at the city of Colossus and the water source at the city of Hierapolis. Now, now at Colossus, the water that was produced there... It was cool and refreshing. It was kind of the Ozarka or the Aquafina of the ancient world. The water came out nice and cool and good to drink. That was the water that came out of the city of Colossus. But the water that came out of the city of Hierapolis was, Hierapolis was at an area where there were hot bubbling springs. Mineral water or been to one of those places like Hot Springs, Arkansas or, or you know, a Banff, Canada or, or Yellowstone National Park where these, this hot water bubbles up. One of the things that you find about places where there's hot water that bubbles out like that is that people find medicinal uses for that hot water. That hot mineral water can give people relief from achy bones and joints or whatever it is. Uh, and so Laodicea sat between two sources of water, one that was cold and one that was hot. But both of them were very useful. One provided refreshment, the cold water of Coloss. One provided medicinal healing, the warm waters of Hierapolis. But what happened was, as the water came out of the ground in those two locations, it had to be piped to the city of Laodicea via stone aqueducts. As the water would travel from those locations, it would change temperature. So that by the time it got to the city of Laodicea, it was no longer cool and refreshing. It was no longer hot and medicinal. It was lukewarm and gross. And so people who would take a drink of the water in Laodicea, if they were not expecting it, might spit it out in disgust. The water in and Hierapolis was useful for its intended purpose. But by the time it got to the city of Laodicea, it had lost its usefulness and it would be spit out see I think that what Jesus was trying to communicate to the church in Laodicea was that somehow they were they had lost their usefulness somehow they had forgotten that God had a purpose for them as a church and as a congregation they figured that their role was just to be a church just to, just to have that name attached to them somehow while failing to live out the useful mission for which they were created. And because of that, Jesus says that he would spit them out. That's not a statement of eternal damnation. That's a statement of dislike and disgust. You're not living out what I created you to live out. He was offering something better than what they were doing. And he called them on it. You know, Jesus created the church for a purpose. He didn't create the church just to exist. He created it for action. And because Jesus created the church for action, that has implications for the church in Laodicea, and it has implications for us today. You know, I, I know a couple of different people that own trucks. A couple of different people that own several trucks. Uh, one of those people are, are, are my parents, my parents own lots of trucks. Another of those people are Marshall Bracken, who owns a, an oil company, and they service oil wells, and so they have a lot of trucks. Now, what's interesting is the trucks that my parents own are about this big. They're little metal trucks, replicas of trucks that Phillips Petroleum Company used back in the 40s and 50s. You know, the, the the orange and the green trucks? They've got a whole bunch of them. You know what you do with a truck like that? If you ask me, not much. But if you ask my parents, they go in a glass case with a light on them. That's what you do with them. They're a collector's item. That's the kind of truck that they are. Um, my parents have a lot of trucks. They're small and not that useful. They collect them. The trucks that Marshall owns, though, are quite different. These are actual Big trucks, drivable trucks, trucks that are able to go to oil wells and flush them out. Get the oil that's necessary and take them to places so that we can heat our homes and drive our cars. Both have trucks. One of them has trucks for a collection. The other has trucks for a purpose. You know, when I read Jesus' letter to the church in Laodicea, what I believe he's saying is he created the church not to collect them, but to use them. The church that Christ is building is on a mission in this world. It has a purpose. We have not been saved just so Jesus can put us behind glass on a shelf and say, look at that. But God is at work in our lives so that he might work through us now to share his love and blessings with others. The church in Laodicea had forgotten this. They had viewed themselves as a collector's item. And because of that, Christ says, get back to your purpose. Be cool and refreshing to those who are in need. Provide healing in medicinal ways to those who are hurting. But don't abandon your purpose and become lukewarm. That was the word to the church in Laodicea, and I think that's a challenge that we need to hear as well. Because there's a type of Christianity that is not pleasing to Christ. And we've seen that that has something to do with a failure to live into our mission and purpose and action. But I think there's a root issue that lies behind that, and that's the second thing that we're going to see. And that is, the root issue that lies behind this is that Jesus doesn't like independent churches. Jesus doesn't like independent churches. What's interesting about that is, you know, I, as a pastor at Wildwood, many times I'll talk to somebody and they will say, well, well, where are you a pastor at? I'll say, well, I'm a pastor at Wildwood Community Church. And they'll say, what denomination is that a part of? they will say, it's not a part of any denomination. And they'll say, oh, so it's an independent church. I'll say, yeah. But that's not the kind of independent church that Christ is against. Uh, the kind of independent church that Christ is against and the kind of independent people that Christ speaks strongly against as in this letter to the church in Laodicea, is those who have wandered away from dependence upon Christ. See, the church in Laodicea was an interesting place. Uh, Laodicea was a city of great wealth uh, in in Asia. Uh, It was a city that had three things going for it financially. Uh, One of the things that it had going for it financially was uh, that it was a banking center. The banks in Laodicea had a lot of cash on hand. They were able to cash the checks of many traveling dignitaries in the area. They were known for their banking. They had a lot of wealth. This was the Swiss bank of the Asian world at the time. They had a lot of money there. They were also known for their textile production. Uh, Laodicea sat on a flat plain on this Roman road, but that whole area of that plain uh, was great grazing area for sheep that produced this beautiful black wool. These black wool from the sheep was 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 shorn and, and made into beautiful fabrics of garments that were known all over that area of the world. People would come to Laodicea to buy some of these black garments to wear. It was also famous in the area of medicine. There was a medical college in that city that, where, where they did a lot of, of research and where they they came with a lot of treatments for things including uh, some, some balm or some salve that they made for people who struggled with eye conditions. See, in the, in the ancient Asian world, the city of Laodicea was very wealthy. Their banking and their textile mills and their medical colleges had given them a place of great prominence. Uh, that's why Jesus says to them in verse 17, You say that I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. See, the city of Laodicea was a place that they didn't feel like they had a need for anything because they had all kinds of stuff to provide for all of their needs. Uh, You know, the the wealth of the city of Laodicea was attested by the Roman uh, historian Tacitus who after, in in 60 AD, there was a great earthquake that destroyed the city of Laodicea and many of the surrounding areas. Uh, But Laodicea was such a wealthy city that by the time this book was written some 30 years later, The city had completely rebuilt, and it had rebuilt with no help from Rome. Tacitus said this about this rebuilding process, said, Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of her own resources, and with no help from us. What an interesting statement. The reason why they could build with no help from Rome was because they were a wealthy city. They had need of nothing in their own minds. They were able to rebuild without any help. This would be like the city of New Orleans rebuilding after Katrina with no help from the federal government. If New Orleans was able to rebuild with no help from the state of Louisiana, no help from the federal government, everyone would look at New Orleans and say, what a wealthy city that they would be able to weather a storm of that size and keep right on going. Apparently that was the kind of city that Laodicea was. Their own wealth allowed them to feel as though they had need of nothing. But you know what, as they had surrounded themselves with all of this stuff, all of this created stuff, it seems that as they had looked at all the created stuff around them, they had let that created stuff obscure their need for their creator. Listen to the signature that Jesus gave as he writes to the church in verse 14. He says that he is the ruler of God's creation. Jesus highlights this aspect of his character because he said, you guys are so focused on this created stuff around you, you think that that is where your security is. You think that that's what is providing for you. And yet Jesus says, remember, there's a creator that sits over and above all of that stuff. The ruler of all of the created things is who you should seek to be dependent upon. And Jesus was calling them out on that. How about us? Do we have the danger of being independent? Do we have the the danger of seeking to go our own way and go our own directions, losing our sense of dependence upon God? I think we certainly do. In 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 our lives, many times in In new areas and in areas of great difficulty, we find ourselves being dependent upon God. But as we go on and as time progresses, we more and more find ourselves relying on on ourselves and not on God. Uh, You know, sometimes that shows up in areas of of ministry. I know that for myself, when I was a a student in seminary, I was going to preach my first real sermon in a church in Ovilla, Texas. And uh, the day before that sermon was going to be preached, I I wrote and rewrote that message a hundred times. I I scrapped the whole outline about 4.30. I called my professor on the phone, and I I was asking him to basically give me a message because I, I just had such a great sense of need. I stayed up almost the whole night praying, asking God to have mercy upon me and have the world end before morning so that I didn't have to give this message. But if, it, if the world didn't end, that he would somehow speak through me because I was afraid of looking stupid, I was afraid of making the church look bad, but I was most of all afraid of wasting everyone's time. Because I had such a great sense of need, I was calling out upon the Lord. I had a great sense of dependence that morning. But you know what? Now I've got a seminary degree. I've got years of experience. Uh, Not as many as some, but I've been doing this for a while. and uh, Because of that, it's possible for me now to not have that same sense of dependence. But the question is this, has my need changed any? Not when you consider the task. When we gather here, we want to hear from God, not from me. In order for that to happen, God has to work. My need hasn't changed, but sometimes my perception of my need changes. Maybe that's been your experience, too, in areas where you serve in ministry. How about in relationships? You know, when relationships begin, whether it be a friendship or a romantic relationship, whatever it is, when relationships begin, we have great senses of need, right? You move to a new city, what do you do? Oh, Lord, please give us friends. You, you go out and you spend some time with those friends. Oh, Lord, please help them to not think we're weird. You know, um, in, in romantic relationships, this is definitely the case. You know, for the years I was serving in college ministry, I'd, I, I, would, I would hear a lot of times, you know, early on in the re- days of a relationship, the guys are all about praying for that relationship. Oh, Lord, help me to do the right thing. Help me to know the right thing. Help me to treat her right, all these things. What happens is after time goes on in a relationship, you have some relational equity built up. You have some information in your hip pocket. And it's possible because of that to begin to view your relationships more in an effort of your own strength. We might even begin to try to manipulate things a little bit. I'm going to take what I know about you and use it against you to get what I want. You see, in a new relationship or early on in the relationship, we might have a sense of need. We might have a sense of dependence. But as it goes on, is it possible that we could become independent? relying only on ourselves. I, I think absolutely it is. But has our level of need really changed? No. For two people to know each other and to relate to one another and to be encouraging to one another in Christ, that requires something far more than any personality or social skills or information that you have. Relationships. And another area that maybe uh, this is, something, is an area of sin struggle for you. You know, when, when the sin struggle is first identified and you realize, okay, this is an area that I need to give to God, I need to grow, there's a sense of great need. But it's possible after a while that, that our sense of need begins to shift and we begin to think that it's now our responsibility to manage our sin. We need to get the software on our computer that, that highlights things. We need to get, you know, accountability around us and all those things. We begin to think that it's, it's in those pieces that we can manage that we find victory over sin. But has our level of need really changed? No. No. In order for us to see Christ's righteousness revealed in our lives in any way, shape, or form, it's only going to be because he works and because we receive his work by faith. Now, does God use experience and training? Absolutely. Does God use depth of relationship and time spent with people Absolutely. Does does God use internet filters and accountability groups to encourage us? Absolutely. But we should never let that stuff obscure our need for dependence upon God himself. Jesus says that apart from him, we can do nothing. That means that for the things that we really need in life... The, the, the forgiveness that we need, the, the righteousness that we need, the encouragement that we need, the acceptance that we need. All of those things are found only in Christ. The song that Greg wrote that we sang earlier highlights that so much. He is our life. He is our words. He is our encouragement. The things we really need are found only in Christ. Jesus says that to them in verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. So that you can become rich. In other words, stop looking at your banks, you Swiss bank of the ancient world, and finding your comfort there. There are spiritual riches that I have to offer you that go beyond whatever follows the third comma, past the dollar sign. He says, I, I've, I've provided you white clothes to wear to cover your shamefulness and wickedness. It was common in that day for them to wear black garments, these famous black garments of Laodicea. But Jesus says, Don't find comfort in your pretty black garments. I'm providing for you the white righteousness of life. He says, Don't just find comfort in the salve that your medical colleges produce for the eyes, but come to me and I'll give you spiritual sight. The things that we really need are found in Christ alone. He is the one who provides for us. See, there's a kind of Christianity that does not please Christ. And that kind of Christianity is one that has lost its usefulness because it has become independent from Him. Our need for dependence upon Christ increases over time. Unlike our relationship with our parents, where the more mature we become, the more independent we come, and our spiritual lives, our journey towards maturity increases our dependence upon him. Now one thing that we need to remember is the third truth that we need to see from this passage, and that's this: Our journey to dependence, our journey to dependence is shorter than we think. If you're here today and you wonder, well, how do I get back? I recognize the fact that I've floated away from my sense of dependence upon God, but how do I make that up? How do I get back? What Jesus tells the church in Laodicea is that their journey back to dependence is shorter than they think. And he tells them that really primarily in verse 20. See, after encouraging them to buy back from him, to to come to him to get the things that they need, after encouraging them in that way, Jesus says in verse 20, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You know what Jesus was saying? In their independence, the church at Laodicea had effectively kicked Christ out of their church and closed the door behind him. They had said to Christ, We don't need you anymore. We have everything we need. They closed the door and they went about their business. Now, think about if you did that in your life. Think about if in your, in your house, wherever you live, an apartment, a house, whatever, someone comes over to your house, and you spend some time together with them. And then you say, you know what, I really don't need you anymore, thank you, and you kicked them right out the door and closed it behind. What would you expect them to do? Would you expect them to stay outside your door and set up a picnic lunch and And just, you know, mow your grass and all that kind of stuff? Would you expect that? Is that the normal response? No, what you would expect them to do is to leave. And if you were ever to restore a relationship with that person, you would have to go and beg them to come back because of how you had treated them previously. That's the way we think. That's the way we expect. What's fascinating and what is so encouraging is that Jesus talks to the church in Laodicea, the church that had become independent, the church that had said to Christ, we don't need you anymore, and had closed the door. To that church, Jesus said, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear me knocking and you open the door, then I will come in and I will have deep fellowship with you again. You see, we think that in order for us, if we have found ourselves in a spot in life where we have made ourselves independent of Christ, whether we've walked off in independence in willful sin or whether we've walked off in independence just in the sense that we've forgotten our need for Christ, we've gotten kind of wallowed in uh, religiosity or whatever it might be. We think that if we've forgotten Christ, we've kicked Him out of our lives, that somehow we're going to have to retrace our steps and go find Him and go beg Him to come back. Now, some of you have heard me share this example before, but many of us think that... It's like if Keith and I were having a relationship right here and and Keith was Christ and I I was spending time with him and then I decided, you know what, I'm going to get as far away from him as I can and I turn and I walk away from Keith and he stays here and I go out the door and out the front door and I go all the way to Oklahoma City. And then I come to my senses and say, what was I doing making myself independent of Christ? We think that I've got to turn around and retrace my steps all the way back to this room to find him. But the reality is that Revelation 3.20 tells us that when we come to our senses and we realize our need for dependence, the journey back is much shorter than we think. Christ is standing at the door of our lives and knocking. We don't have to walk back to any geographical location. We don't have to to, to beg Him to, to come back so that it would somehow change His mind to trust us again with deep fellowship. But it is His heart and His desire To be with us. And so he stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. All we have to do is open up and say, Christ, you are welcome here. And he restores fellowship immediately. What an unbelievable promise. And something that is so counter to what we think. We think that the more mature we get, God expects us to be more independent. Wrong. The more mature we get in Christ, the more dependent we need to be upon him. We think that in order to restore fellowship after a season of independence, we have to retrace our steps and beg him to come back. But the reality is that he stands at the door of our lives and knocks. If we would but open the door, he will come in and dine with us. I want us to really consider this fact, and I want us to do that by just having everybody just bow your heads. And as you bow your heads and and as as you're there at your seat, I want you just to spend a moment thinking about where you're at in your life right now. Right now today, are you in a period of time that would be characterized by independence, of going your own way, either of neglecting Christ, thinking of Him, relating to Him, being dependent upon Him, Or maybe it's just an active period of of independence where you're walking off in willful sin. But think about where you are. Is your life characterized by that or is your life characterized by a sense of dependence? Take just a moment and think about that. that as you remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if as you have considered your life, you feel as though you're in a state of independence, maybe it's up to this point a permanent state of independence. Maybe you've never in your life trusted your life to anyone or anything. You've never given your life to Christ in any way, shape, or form. Or maybe this is just a season. You've walked with God for a while, but lately you have been setting Him aside or have been walking away actively. Whatever it is, if you find your life in a state of independence, listen carefully to the words of Revelation chapter 3. Verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. If independence characterizes your life right now, I pray that you would hear the voice of Christ. And open the door, allowing him inside. Because he longs to give you more than you've ever dreamed. A deep and personal relationship with him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you for this time. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have shown us that you desire that we would live a life dependent upon you. Father, we're so thankful for that because as we take assessment of our lives, we realize that when we live in independence, they don't produce the fruit or the results that we desire or that you desire for us. So, Father, we're thankful that you don't expect us to become independent of you but that you provide for us greatly when we live our lives dependent upon you. Father, I pray that each of us would begin every day, would enter every season of life, by checking to make sure that the door of our heart is open, so that you might come in. Father, you have promised to never leave us, so regardless of how neglectful we have been in the past of our relationship with you, of how rebellious we've been in the past, we're so thankful to know that you are here with us. You stand waiting and knocking, offering fellowship. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, four weeks ago, we began this series looking at the beautiful Savior that is Christ, and seeing how He is more than enough for all of our needs. Uh, this morning, as we wrap up this series, I, I want to end um, by having us remember the aspects of the character of Christ that we've seen over the last four four Sundays. Uh, and I want to. I want. We're going to use some of these signs to help remind us of that. Uh, but after we we talk about some of these areas, some of these characteristics, uh, I want us to respond. And we'll respond by all saying together, He is more than enough for all of our needs. Okay? And we'll be prompted with a slide, but uh, uh, we're going to remember several things. Now, The first thing that we're going to remember has to do with the, the love of God. See, it's our great desire, it's our great desire. That we would have a deep and a personal relationship with God. That he would really know us and that we would really know him. And, And even though sometimes we might feel that he is distant, he has promised us that he is close. He has said he's the one that walks among the golden lampstands. He's the one who is among his church. He is close to us. And even though we might think he can never understand all of what's going on in my life, he says that he is the God of spirit. That he understands the deep and the personal issues of our lives. And so because of that because he knows us we all need to remember that he is more than enough for all our needs. We also saw God's provision. We saw that as in this life we go through many difficulties. There are many struggles that we're going to go through. Uh, there are times of persecution That believers will face. There are times of great difficulty. There are times that we feel insignificant or overlooked. But in all of those situations, Jesus reminds us that that he is the one. He is the one who has overcome our chief enemy of death. Therefore, we don't have to fear that he is the one who holds the keys to the house of David, who can bless everyone that he chooses to bless. And because he can bless whoever he chooses to bless, because our trouble is limited to a time in this life, because he has overcome the grave, we can remember and say altogether that he is more than enough for all our needs. We also saw the issue of God's truth. We saw that, that, that Jesus was the one who understood the fact that his church might be led by lousy leaders at times that detach God's people from God's truth. And that there is a need for us to get centered back on God's truth. All for our individual lives and for our churches' lives. And that some of you may have gone through experiences in life where you have been in situations where, where churches have been led in really bad ways. And have been led astray away from God's truth. But we need to remember that in those situations that Jesus is the one who holds the sharp and the double-edged sword, that he is the one who has the eyes like burning fire that can see through the facade of lousy leaders and who wants to call us back to the razor sharpness of his truth. And because of that, we can say that he is more than enough for all our needs. And then this morning we've seen the issue of the priority of God in our lives. We've seen the fact that God doesn't want us to live a life of independence, but He wants us to live a life of dependence. That we need Him for everything in our lives. That that He is the ruler of all creation. That He sits over and above all of the created things that we might seek to find solace in. That He is the ruler of creation that we can trust and be dependent upon because He'll provide for all of our needs, including deep and intimate fellowship if we open the door of our hearts. And because of that, we can remember that he is more than enough for all our needs. We're going to conclude this morning the way we began the series. And that is by singing together the beautiful song and chorus, Enough. At the conclusion of this song, if you would like someone to pray with you, there will be some of us at the front. We'd love the opportunity to do that. Greg, you want